Welcome, welcome to the Stone Soup Podcast, created by Cody Sullivan for the River Power Podcast Mill Network. Welcome, welcome one and all to another episode of the Stone Soup Podcast, the show where I drag interesting people onto the internet to talk about interesting things. And today, I have the esteemed honor of welcoming to the show a commissioner of the Indie Gaming League, a.k.a. IGL. Please welcome to the show, T-Now. T-Now, please say hello. Hello, happy to be here. Hello, great. I was uh, I was able to reach out to you because my good friends Dominic and Jake are actually members of the IGL. Again, that's the Indie Gaming League. Check them out, Google them, join their Discord. Both of these guys have been a part of the IGL for a few years now, and they've been having so much fun. But this is my segue to my first question for you. Let's set the foundation for the interview ahead so that everybody can be on the same page. How would you describe what IGL is for those who may be unsure of what exactly a gaming league is and who created it? Sure. So I think the simplest way I like to describe it to people is that it is essentially a recreational video game league or recreational esports league. If people are familiar with like beer leagues or maybe playing like recreational sports at like say the YMCA or the Foundation for Youth, we kind of mimic a similar model except everything is all online. Everything we do is online. All the games we run have various ways for us to pair players up against each other, but it's a recreational league. You sign up with your friends and you just play games once a week and and have a lot of fun. And it all started back in 2018. So it's myself and then my business partner, Kyle, AKA Commissioner Smash. We got to talking a little bit about Airbnb, actually. We were having a conversation about Airbnb because I was getting ready to rent my home. And he started telling me about this idea he had for a recreational video game league and asked if I wanted to try it out and be a part of it. And uh, yeah, I I said yes. I jumped in on it and we had a lot of success with the first league and it's just grown ever since to where we are here today. That's so interesting that Airbnb was sort of the the inspiration for this kind of platform. (laughs) I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah, it was... uh, Well... Because the two weren't really tied together. We were just kind of talking about Airbnb because he had been renting his home. And I wanted to know about how to do that since I was getting ready to start doing it. And he started talking to me about this idea at the at the end of it. Um, And it just, yeah, just kind of led to us going out there, giving it a try at the beginning. There wasn't really much at stake. And we just kind of figured it would be for fun and we could see what happens. And yeah, it it went really well. What games did you guys start with for, for IGL? Our very first one was Rocket League, which it's definitely our biggest one still today, so that makes makes a lot of sense. Um, and it was a 2v2 Rocket League circuit for our, our very first one, and I think we had 68 players in that. 68 players. Do you know off the top of your head uh, how many how many players you have uh, today? Yeah, we have around seven to 8,000 players. I don't know the exact <sighs> number, but it's grown quite a bit. <laughs> wow. Wow. In, in really in a very short amount of time. Yeah, it's uh, it's been great to see the response that people have had to, to what we're doing. And, you know, we we started off kind of with the idea of, of bringing recreational video game leagues to more people, to giving people an opportunity to play, because 
we really saw it as an opportunity in the market. There's not really there's not really anything like we do out there. I mean, there's a lot of options for different tournaments and there's different leagues that you can play in, but you need to get like drafted and assigned to a franchise, but there's nothing that we've found out there that you just sign up with your friends, you play, it's all for fun and it sorts people into different uh, skill levels. So I think that that's a big thing that we're doing that really draws in a lot of different people is, you know, if you just go out there and you sign up for a random tournament or something, uh, you're probably just going to get smacked around unless you're like a really good player, you know, and that's just not fun. Like we want everybody, no matter what their skill level is, to have fun. And so that's like, those are the two big things I would say that kind of differentiate us is there's no restrictions on the amount of people that can sign up as well as you sign up with your friends you don't need to be drafted in or anything and then we do sort people by different skill levels to try to match them appropriately and the and the outreach uh for igl is what's very impressive to me i mean you're based out of uh indianapolis and yet you have players here in vermont that i know good friends of mine that somehow found uh your league and have been active members of the community since i mean that kind of outreach is that word of mouth did just people start sharing with their friends and say hey i'm doing this really interesting thing playing this game it's really fun but i'm doing it as part of this recreational league you should check it out or did you have to like purposefully sort of advertise and put yourself out there in order to see this kind of growth yeah i think it's a little bit of both i mean we definitely value the word of mouth referrals and that's gotten us uh, a lot of people who have been around for a long time and who bring their friends in and usually once somebody starts having fun with igl they get all their friends involved and those people are usually really uh uh, really dedicated and, and play in multiple seasons and we love seeing that but as far as like how we've been able to grow so quickly i would say the biggest uh, the biggest biggest thing that's contributed to that is our partnerships with various content creators uh, in in the video game industry, and it all really started with the first league. There's um, a guy by the name of Sunless Khan, who I'm sure anybody's familiar with Rocket League knows who he is. But he, oh, uh, sure. he yeah, he's here in Indiana. Um, <laughs> and when we started our first league, I think he had around 60,000 YouTube subs at the time. And now he has like over 800,000, probably 850 to 900 as as of when this video is probably going to be coming out. But um, he reached out to us and was willing to help promote us and, and get kind of get the word out about us. So that really accelerated our growth initially because we were expecting to have maybe 15 to 20 people in that first league. But he gave us a shout out in a video. Um, it drew in a lot more people. Those people had a really good time. We continued working with Sunless and have gotten to know him really well as a good friend over the years. And he's been a big part of, of our success with helping get the name out there. And um, then we started working with all kinds of other content creators uh, across the industry as well. People like Rocket Sledge, Trihouse, Flump, Neato Queen, uh, Black Widow. There's uh, so many people that we've been working with who have just fantastic communities. They're great people. And that's I think that's been the biggest way that we've been able to grow so quickly is that we know that there's a lot of people out there who want to experience a fun community. We know we can provide that. And we know that these content creators have a lot of those people in their communities. So it just kind of made sense to try to work with them to, to help grow IGL and to give their communities something really fun to engage with as well. So the IGL today, as we talked about, is a community of players of all skill and notoriety with 
some content creators such as Sunless Khan having quite a large following on YouTube, but I imagine it, it, it wasn't always this way, although from what I hear, your first circuit was, was pretty successful with 60-something people. But uh, how have you seen it grow over, over the circuits? How quickly was this growth? So you, you might have had 60 for the first circuit. Second circuit, is, is it double that? Is it triple that? How did it grow in between circuits? Yeah, so typically uh, for a while we were pretty much doubling every single circuit. Um, trying to remember off the top of my head, but I think it went from like 68 players to 144 to like 500 to, I don't know, maybe 1,000, 1,500, then it was 3,000. And it's definitely like as we've continued to grow, it's it, we, we're obviously not able to double every single time. Um, but we have we have seen growth in every circuit we've done, and um, yeah, I think last time I think we were probably around five six thousand. This time we're around seven eight thousand, so a decent chunk of growth there. And we're just continuing to try to find ways to keep uh, keep growing and keep bringing the experience to to more and more people. Um, and you know, kind of like we already talked about, a lot of that is through working with content creators i mean we of course we have different social media channels we reach out to people through email uh reddit is a decent spot for us to try to get people just all these different areas where the gamers that we're trying to get in touch with live and and operate every day are kind of where we're we're looking to contact people at yeah and i imagine this kind of exponential growth presents some pretty unique challenges too, right? To have have it grow uh, so quickly is a great thing, but uh, did you ever feel at some point like, this is a runaway train, I'm feeling very overwhelmed, there's a lot of work to be done now that this is growing so quickly? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some feelings of that sometimes, um, but this is our full-time job, and so that gives us pretty much all the time in the world to, to dedicate to it. Um, and that that's helped a lot in times where it feels a little overwhelming, you know, you know that, um, you know, you, it, it's your focus, right? There's nothing else like you don't need to go to work all day and then come home and be like, oh, no, I've got 7000 people in IGL that like, no, you, you know, I, I can I can just work on that all day. Um, sure. And we've implemented a ton of different tools. Um, you know, I, I mentioned Commissioner Smash earlier. My business partner has been just doing such an awesome job of building out our platform, building out the website. I mean, we have all kinds of features um, that really helped automate things, helped us manage these large groups of people. We've got a uh, like a matchmaking engine on the website now. We have a new way we do rank verifications. Um, we just have different ways to, to reach out to people and to record like forfeits or issues. There's just all kinds of tools that he's been building into the website that have helped us uh, be able to, to manage the growing number of people. And we still have a lot long ways to go, of course. I mean, there's still things that we talk about as we... You know, we just have 7,000 people, right? We talked about kind of how that went, things we need to change for next time. So we already have our sights set on like how we can keep improving it. And yeah, I can't remember the exact quotes, but we, we talk about it a little bit that it's basically just like your business is completely scaled until it isn't and then you scale it again you know i mean that's right, that's pretty right. much just what we've been doing uh constantly over the last two and a half years is we meet all the challenges sometimes it's tough sometimes it takes a lot of hours but we always have 
fixed it for the next time, been more prepared, and then there's always new challenges, and and we just just get ready for those. Well, I think one of the nice things about offering, you know, you know, such a great uh, product, the 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 IGL, is that uh, people really like it, and when they really like it, they are more willing to volunteer. And I'm thinking about things like people who host streams and and maybe provide commentary for for matches or people who offer to be moderators of discord channels and things like that i mean do you have a you know you must have an established dialogue with uh people that just want to help uh improve igl wherever they can or help by hosting a stream or something like that do you you accept these sort of volunteers i would imagine right uh yeah most of the volunteering that we most of the volunteers that we work with are our mods i would say i mean they they help out in the discord they answer a ton of questions and that's been a huge huge help for us uh i think once we hit the once once we hit like around the thousand player mark i had to turn off my direct messages in in discord because i was doing pretty much all that by myself early on you know when there's only a couple hundred players it's pretty easy to manage and obviously we weren't as big didn't have as many people so we were able to to field all the questions ourselves. but yeah the mods help out a ton with the questions Um, as far as casting goes we have a program called the community caster program where people can stream matches on their own channels Uh, again kyle built this really cool tool called the casterverse and it pulls different stats and player cards and scoreboard overlays from the igl website and then you can put that into your streaming software and, and really cast games easily on your own channels. Um, and we've seen a lot of success with that with that program. I think we have 20 to 30 community casters. So we work with a lot of people in that aspect to make sure that there's opportunities for people to, to play on stream. Um, because that was something that was really big early on. But we just weren't really able to continue to meet the demands of the, the growing community. So we've definitely... Uh, sought help in that area and it's been it's been a huge success both for IGL um, but you know also for these these casters who have the opportunity to really grow their own brand and stream a lot of great mm-hmm. content on their channels so we've we've gotten a lot of good feedback about that program and we're only looking to to continue to grow it yeah I mean it does make such a difference when you're playing on stream and you know you have commentators you know discussing play I mean it makes difference as a player but also as a viewer, it's so much more compelling to watch when you have people breaking down the action, especially for someone like me who's not a prolific uh, Rocket League player, but wants to know more about the game. Having those commentators is so important in, in learning about the game and learning like what, what separates these players that are like champ ranked from players that are gold ranked. Mm-hmm. And having those commentators is just so much fun and it, it's truly a great gift uh, to offer. So if, if somebody has maybe played Rocket League but hasn't seen one of these streams, I urge you, please try to check this out because it is so much fun, especially if you're like me, uh, really missing sports. Which brings me yeah. <laughs> to the elephant in the room. So let's just open this up and talk about this. 
In light of the spread of COVID-19, there has been a lot of uncertainty surrounding traditional sporting events and exhibitions across the globe. It's no small wonder then that on occasion SportsCenter has actually shared footage of Rocket League matches and even a clip of, or two of Apex Legends and Call of Duty Warzone. What kind of effect, both negative and positive, does the quarantine restriction have on both the IGL but also the greater esports community at large? Sure. Um, you know, I think for IGL, since everything we do is online, there really wasn't a whole lot of negative kickback from COVID. At least, I mean, obviously the coronavirus is terrible. It's a it's a horrible thing that's going on. But if we're just talking about IGL um, and how we operated, we didn't really see any, uh, any downturn or any negativity from that. Um, just because everything's online people are obviously all inside now so more people are playing video games if anything we probably saw a little bit of a boost in our numbers because of it so for us yeah it was pretty much business as usual which is kind of as expected when your business is all based online and you don't have to really worry about holding anything in person we did have i guess you know i guess i should before i said all that i guess i should think like you know we don't normally do have like an end of season event at our arca local arcade bar here tapper's arcade um so we weren't able to really hold that in the same capacity but we were able to do some stuff online to to kind of uh make up for that I guess as far as the esports industry in general, um, I think it has been, I, I think it's been, I think there's been good and bad as opposed to like with IGL, I was just like, you know, for the most part, there wasn't too much bad, but for, for the esports industry, I think some of the bad is that, um, a lot of the events that people really look forward to that are the big culmination of these different pro scenes um, have either all been put online or kind of been canceled. They can't have that in-person LAN experience. And that's something that mm -hmm. people really, really look forward to. And I would imagine makes these companies quite a bit of money, you know, and everybody involved quite sure. a bit of money. So that's a pretty big like downside. Something like the RLCS, for, for example. I mean, that, that sort of is what you're talking about, where the culmination of, of the season, um, a lot of people look forward to, to those kinds of events. And a lot of people travel from all over the country uh, to to participate, either spectate or uh, actually play in, in these events, and uh, sadly they won't be able to happen uh, in in a physical location. But they are sort of moving to more online friendly like formats. Is that correct? Yeah, a lot of these things are moving to online friendly formats. So that's been that's been really good to see. Um, you know, and I, th I think that kind of goes to where I was going with what the good of it has been is that more that with it all being online and everybody being at home, that just gives it more visibility for, I would say, the general population. I mean, you mentioned even ESPN is showing different esports related clips with Rocket League, Apex, Warzone, whatever it may be. It seems like there's a lot more tournaments going on. Um, so I think that the positive has been that this has just given the opportunity for esports to really step up and show that it's deserving of competing at a similar level as sports and that it does have that same competitive appeal, I guess. I mean, there's certainly mm -hmm. two different industries and there's always going to be pros and cons to both depending on what you're what you're looking for but i'm definitely a believer in that esports is going to be you know right up there with with sports in terms of popularity um mm -hmm. here in the next five ten years if you know if if it isn't already right i mean it has grown so much 
in in the last decade the esports community i mean from having just super smash bro melee tournaments you know happening across the country to now being able to stream an event like that where you can have you know a thousand people watching this event uh that otherwise they wouldn't have known was happening i mean the 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 ubiquitousness of twitch and uh different streaming platforms have really made that possible it seems mm-hmm yeah, there's definitely been a big uptick in, in the online activity. Um, it seems like there's a lot of new games coming out and people are getting excited about, you know, like Valorant is a new game that a ton of people have been really into. There's been a lot of tournaments going on for that. A uh, new Battle Royale just came out called Hyperscape that seems to be getting pretty popular lately. Um, there's just a lot of cool stuff going on and so it's... It's tough that, you know, you can't get people together for the LAN experience, but it's neat that even though uh, there's a lot of trouble with COVID right now, there's still able to be some momentum in the esports industry to get some of these cool new things going in an online format. Sure. Yeah. And uh, you'll have to indulge me because I'm not really sure what Valorant is, and I'd love to hear uh, uh, from you if you could indulge me just for a minute. What what is Valorant? Sure. So, so Valorant is a uh, 6v6 shooting game. It was made by Riot, who makes uh, League of Legends. Um, yep. So huge, huge game publisher. This has been a game that's really been hyped up for a long time. It's kind of similar to Counter-Strike or CSGO in that um, you, know, you buy your weapons and armor after every match. It's kind of like one-shot kills. But they also mixed in a little bit with the characters have abilities. So think kind of like maybe Overwatch um, or even like Apex okay. Legends where they have each each character, or each legend has different abilities. So it's a 6v6 team game, um, mixes in a lot of the classic gameplay that people love with Counter-Strike, which is still one of the biggest games to date, um, if not the biggest in the esports industry. And it adds in a little bit of the flair with the new like abilities and and whatnot. And it, I mean, they they just went crazy with the marketing for it, and they got people so hyped for it, for the release. And it's just uh, just hasn't it's just been going up up ever since. Is it cross platform as well? This is a side tangent, but I would like to posit that you know the growth of esports has also led to a lot more like cross platform friendly games uh, uh being that you know people want to compete and they don't want to only compete on you know one device like i'm a pc person so i only play with other pc players um certainly i i can't remember when but rocket league wasn't cross-platform for a long time and then uh a couple seasons ago uh i think they they made it a, a standard cross-platform game uh but do you think that the rise of esports is sort of driving the cross-platform uh, uh push that we're seeing yeah i think the cross-platform push has been kind of going on for a while now and it's been really great to see um and i think it kind of like I don't know. I, I it, for me almost the cross platform kind of validates even what IGL is trying to do. Like we're trying to appeal to uh for lack of a better word, I guess I'll say the everyday gamer, right? Like so I, I'll use sure. myself as an example. I love playing mm-hmm. video games. If I can, I play them every day, you know, I can't always, but I I it's my hobby, right? I love doing it. I'm relatively competitive in that I enjoy playing them, but I'm not like super great, you know? I, I'm I'm just mm-hmm. an everyday gamer. I personally don't care if I'm playing like if I'm on PC and I'm playing with Xbox and PlayStation people, great. You know, like if my teammates playing on Nintendo Switch, great. Like 
I love that as just a casual gamer. And I think that with IGL, like that fits in perfectly because it just lets everybody, there's no more of these conversations with, hey, I just got this game. Um, you want to play? Like, oh no, sorry, I can't. I'm on Xbox, you know? Like it's, it just <laughs> right. brings us all together. Whereas at the highest level, I feel like cross-platform is kind of frowned upon and there's all these debates of like, oh, controller really? versus PC. Yeah, I mean, especially in like the shooting genre, there's all these, I'm not going to dive into it all, but there's all these debates in games like Apex Legends and Fortnite where the controller versus the mouse and keyboard controllers supposedly has too much aim assist and so that makes it mm. easier, but then the mouse and keyboard, I don't know, it's like you can move move faster and stuff and like, I, I don't know, there's like this whole whole thing going on at a competitive level of like how do you balance these two different systems essentially with like a controller versus a mouse and keyboard but for igl and like for the general everyday gamer you know we don't care about that we just want to play with our friends right like and apex legends is a game that uh has been in igl for a little while and they've announced cross-platform coming out in the not so distant future it'll i think it's going to be coming up here in fall 2020 maybe early 2021 i can't remember but uh, i think it's just exciting to see the industry kind of trying to cater more towards that social experience um, and towards allowing you to play with your friends no matter the platform and i think that uh like i said that gets me really excited because that's just like right in line with what we're trying to do with igl well i'm glad that you brought it back to you because that's a great segue into my next question because i want to get back to your role with the igl for a bit uh i would imagine that as commissioner your responsibilities are varied and that keeps you pretty busy as you said this is your full-time job so tino inquiring minds want to know what is the average day of work consist of for you? And how are you able to balance maybe your, your downtime, your work-life balance? How do, you, how do you keep that? Sure. So a typical day, um, I guess, is kind of hard to describe, but stuff that pops up pretty regularly, there's always a lot of emails to answer, always people needing help with questions, whether they didn't know how to submit their scores or they can't find their opponents. You know, there's always going to be some aspect of... Uh, like a support or a customer service style role. So I do, you know, I do a lot of that. Um, You know, we, we do some sponsorships. So I manage, you know, trying to get those and, and going after those. There's also, you know, strategy of planning for what we're going to do for our next circuits, what types of games we're looking into. If we're trying to get in touch with different game developers, how do we go about doing that? Um, You know, that, that all of that kind of stuff sort of falls under, under my umbrella. And, the responsibilities within the different you know my responsibilities kind of change from time to time just as we start to add more stuff and figure out ways to automate different things because you know before i was entering in all the scores now that's response the players are responsible for that so like we're you know I'm, i'm kind of also looking at different ways that i can help outline our processes so that we can automate them for the future and then pass that information on to Kyle and we kind of work together to figure out how to how to make it so that uh, a lot of manual work that goes into IGL can become automated because it does take a lot of time um, having to manage so many 
people like that. So those are pretty typical things. Um, I used to do a lot of the streaming as well. Just as of this season, we started having some of our community casters stream on the IGL channel. So that's been a huge help taking that off my plate. But yeah, those are those are all kind of the typical things that would happen on a normal day to day. And there's plenty others I'm sure I'm forgetting. But the work life balance, I, it's always it's always an interesting challenge because you know, I mentioned to you earlier, I love playing video games. So whenever I'm relaxing, my Discord's still open. I still see all the IGL stuff. You know, you're still getting pinged and, and whatnot. So <laughs> right. um, I've, I've just kind of tried to learn that I just need to... I, I'm a person who, like, like, the email comes in. I want it to be read. I want it to be done. It's taken care of. You know, I'm just very, like, task-oriented. We got to knock this stuff out when it comes in. Um, so I've kind of had to learn how to just like take a step back, be like, hey, it's okay if you don't respond to this email for a little bit, they'll survive. Like it's not an urgent issue because if I if I was just doing what I was doing in the early days of IGL, like constantly responding to stuff instantly all the time, I mean, I would just go crazy. I wouldn't be able to, to manage it all. There's just so many people. And so, you know, I've learned to basically just like set aside time for like, I work and, you know, maybe I'll work some in the evenings, maybe I'll work some in the mornings. Like, you know, you work throughout the day. Sometimes you set aside some time outside of what I would describe as typical business hours to do some work if you know you need to knock stuff out. Um, and that happens pretty regularly. You know, whenever it's your own business, you definitely need to, to work a little bit more than you would at a nine to five. But when I'm relaxing, um, I pretty much I just shut all that off like if stuff ha happens unless it's like a crazy emergency that needs to be dealt with immediately I'll usually just leave it till the next day because uh, like I said you just can't I just can't field all all those requests and if I tried to uh, it would drive me insane so to anybody who's trying to start their own business you need to make sure especially when you're working from home um, that, that you kind of set those boundaries and realize that it's okay to take time off and to just, you know, kind of turn off the messages, turn off the emails. You got to learn to do that. And, and thankfully, um, I've been able to, to figure that out here as, as we've continued to grow. I think it's so incredible that despite it's being your, your, your job, video games are your, your, your day to day, that still the way that you like to unwind is by playing video games so what is that go-to comfort food for you what is your go-to you've got okay do you now you've got an hour and a half of downtime what do you put in what do you play what are you loading what's going on i've got three games that i like playing right now i would say my number one go-to is smite it's a it's a moba it's like league of legends mm -hmm. except it's in the third person i had never really played it that much until i would say the last couple months and i I love it. Like I'm so addicted to it. That's that's my go-to game. Um, if I'm just playing by myself, like that's a great one that I usually just play with friends. But if I just have some time to myself, Brawlhalla is one that I've been getting into a little bit lately. I really enjoy playing that. Um, and then I would say the third one I mentioned, I think a little earlier in the show, this new battle Royale that came out called hyperscape. Uh, I've been enjoying playing that and, and that one's been, been a lot of fun too. So right now, those are the three main ones. Um, I see, mm -hmm. see smite and Brawlhalla definitely being around for the long term. hyperscape. Mm -hmm. will have to compete a little bit with, uh, with apex legends. Cause that's another game I've always enjoyed in the past as well. Yeah, it seems like the games that you're gravitating to to play in your downtime are these sort of multiplayer games. It's not like I unwind with Red Dead Redemption 2 
Nobody talked to me. Nobody emailed me. I'm, I'm going to be a cowboy for an hour and a half. It's really interesting that, that still you're playing these competitive multiplayer games, even in your downtime. Yeah, I, I have always been much more competitive. I mean, no matter what it is, whether it's like sports, gaming, um, I've always been a competitive person. My favorite game of all time is Heroes of the Storm, which again was another MOBA similar to League of Legends, but uh, it was Blizzard's MOBA, and I got really good at that. I was uh, playing that a ton for years and years and years. Um, and yeah, I, I've always enjoyed competitive games. I, I grew up playing World of Warcraft. I mean, that was the addiction for like 10 years from like 14 to 24. So there was always the competitiveness of raiding and making sure you had all the gear you needed and the potions and, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and of course, you know, I was I was a big Xbox guy as well with like Halo, Call of Duty, all that. So mm-hmm. I, I do, I did really enjoy like RPGs and, you know, stuff like Pokemon, Final Fantasy, what all all those kinds of games. I liked that a lot. Um, but I, you know, looking back on it, I feel like I kind of always gravitated more towards that in like a mobile setting on like Game Boy, Game Boy Advance, all those kinds of systems sure. that had some really cool uh, RPG games that I could kind of play in the car as a kid. And you mentioned that uh, that you were a big Xbox uh, uh, fan uh, growing up, Xbox player, but. Uh... I would imagine, do you do most of your gaming on, on PC these days? I do, yeah. Um, growing up, I pretty much exclusively used PC for World of Warcraft. Um, that mm. was pretty much the only game I played on PC. Xbox was for almost everything else. I actually think that Apex Legends was the first game I played on PC where I actually like a shooting game right like that mm-hmm. which was pretty recent you know within the last year or so so i'm not i'm not one of those guys who has their roots in like counter-strike or playing like i don't know quake right. or the original halo on pc <laughs> I, I definitely am not I'm, I'm i'm kind of a novice when it comes to the mouse and keyboard shooters but i've mm-hmm. always enjoyed playing various games on pc for like mobas or mmos all, all that kind of stuff i mean i come from a similar background of you know i've been uh, a big Xbox fan growing up, and so now even playing on my PC, uh, I, I am using an Xbox controller because it just feels so much more comfortable to me than the mouse and keyboard. I was going to say, I've got some friends who do that, and I started doing that myself whenever I first got on here because I couldn't I couldn't do anything with the mouse and keyboard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, was just, it was just too difficult coming from a controller background. To me, the Xbox uh, controller, especially the new ones that you can get the Elites, are just so comfortable. They just feel nice in your hand. Uh, and in a way that, for me, my, my keyboard and mouse, just they can't replicate that. They can't, they can't do it. But let's, uh, let's, let's move on. I say that uh, the clock is sort of running down on our uh, interview here, but we still have time uh, to sneak one more quick goal in before the end of this figurative match, uh, if I may. Uh, It seems that the IGL and esports in general has seen a meteoric rise in popularity in the last decade. We talked about this a little bit. Uh, My question for you is this. In your mind, how do esports and in turn the IGL or IGL uh, continue to grow in the months ahead? What sort of milestones are on the horizon for the industry and for your business? So I guess I can speak to IGL first. Like our our immediate goal for the end of the year is to have 10,000 active players in a circuit. Um, so 
I guess the last one of the year would be the fall circuit. Um, we're hoping to have 10,000 active players in that. I don't know if we'll hit it or not. I mean, I hope we do. We've got a lot of plans to try to get there, but that's that's the goal and to just continue growing, bringing it to more people, uh, maybe adding in more games. I don't know. We'll see kind of what we're what we're thinking about with that. We haven't really started planning for the fall circuit just yet, um, but that's going to that, that'll start here soon. Uh, we're in like week two of the summer circuit, so we're definitely looking to, to grow to, I would say, probably around 10,000 players and to just look to keep accelerating that uh, going in, into 2021. And I think for the esports industry, you know, they just like the esports industry in general seems to be on a really strong growth track. I think I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of new games coming out. There's just a ton of different tournaments. Um, I feel like there's so many, I, I feel like esports is just such a big priority for a lot of developers right now. Um, using Rocket League and Psionics as, as an example, uh, they just recently changed the format of their professional scene of the RLCS. It's now RLCS X which is kind of more, uh, has some more regional events leading up to like a, a world event. And there's a lot of stuff in between for, for different people to get involved in. And it just seems like they're placing, you know, not just Psionics, but plenty of other companies are placing a big emphasis on ensuring that there's a lot of content out there. It's really exciting. Uh, it's incentivizing for the players and the orgs to get in there to try to make some money. And I just, I just only expect to continue to see that grow and honestly if sports isn't able to get back to action here soon it wouldn't surprise me if we didn't see esports start to get broadcast on on major tv channels at some point mm -hmm. i mean i'm sure that's not going to happen you know those those kinds of deals they they take a long time to work out but it wouldn't surprise me if those conversations weren't being had behind the scenes with you know like turner broadcasting or espn or whoever it mm -hmm. may be to try to say like hey we see the appeal to this let's get this on the, on the mainstream networks here going forward i would imagine that uh you know, places like South Korea, where like StarCraft 4 has been so popular as an esport to watch that it might already exist. It might already exist that you can tune in on your television and watch these high level players playing this very complicated game uh, that has such a following. And I think that here in the States, I agree with you. I think that that those conversations are probably happening behind closed doors right now, especially given the current climate of, of the COVID-19 outbreak, um, there is a demand for it. I think that if nothing else, the meteoric rise of, of uh, IGL has, has shown that there is a demand for people playing these games and not just playing them, but spectating, watching, participating without playing is, is a huge side of, of the esports industry that it's just driving growth. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And that's kind of where we see ourselves fitting into it is, you know, being that platform that anybody can have access to to get involved. Um, because, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about with, you know, I, I've been kind of just broadly using the term the esports industry, but a lot of the stuff that we're talking about with that is uh, the professional level or high level. Um, mm -hmm. And we're kind of starting to see stuff emerge at the high school level and the collegiate level, but there's still just kind of that gap for just like the amateur, like there is in traditional sports, right? I mean, traditional mm -hmm. sports, you've got your pros, you've got college, you've got high school. That's all really well established, but 
you know, growing up, there's also rec leagues for kids. Once you get into high school, if you're not on the varsity teams, you can go play in recreational leagues. Once you get out of high school, get out of college, you can go play uh, in all the different beer leagues or in the rec leagues, you know, like that mm -hmm. all exists in sports, uh, but it doesn't really exist in esports. Um, but I think it's going to. And I'm hoping that IGL is, you know, where it's going to exist. That's that's our goal is to kind of fill that gap in the industry. And I think it's incredible that you can use services like FanDuel to now like gamble on on like Rocket League matches. Dominic is telling me he has a fantasy draft that he does. I think he uses FanDuel. He uses some site like that. But he's actually like now doing fantasy esports, fantasy Rocket League. That would have been unheard of i think even five years ago yeah i mean that that stuff uh i feel like that'll be the norm for sure once the once esports um probably starts getting broadcast uh, on you know if, if it does start getting broadcast on major news channels or i guess even if it doesn't if it's still on just like twitch or something i think there's a pretty lucrative market for fantasy sports and potentially gambling around it as well that's kind of a whole other discussion though because most developers do have a lot of restrictions around gambling and and you know there's underage people involved right with uh a lot, so a lot of these professionals at times maybe younger than 18 so i don't really know all the legalities and everything behind all that but i'm sure that people like FanDuel will be able to find a way to figure that out because <laughs> there's going to be a lot of money uh to be made on on that kind of stuff Sure. I mean, what I, some of these prizes for some of these tournaments are are very ostentatious. The uh, what was the prize for uh, winning the RLCS last year? If you can, if you can recall what that is, uh, I can't recall what it was, but I know that their total prize this year, I think, was either four or four and a half million for their recently announced. So I mean, that's across mm -hmm. a lot of events, but still, that's yep. uh, that's a good chunk of change. That is a that is a lot of money, and uh, I you know when when I was growing up and my mom was telling me I was wasting my time rotting my brain with video games. I wish I could have told her to be more supportive, and then maybe I could have brought back a chunk of that change and and turned it into a career. But alas, you know maybe maybe for this upcoming generation uh, they won't be uh, chastised as much by their parents who might be like, yeah, he's pretty good at Rocket League. Maybe he's got a maybe he's got a future in this. Yeah, <laughs> I do think it's much more common. I mean, especially with the, I feel like there's been a rise in coaching, especially for games like Fortnite, um, because that one, I mean, that you can win so much money playing that game. And if, if you're a parent and you, you recognize that and you see that your kid is passionate about it and they're starting to put in a ton of time and maybe they're doing really well. If, if you can afford it, what's putting what what's what's the big deal putting down a couple thousand bucks to get some coaching for Fortnite mm -hmm. if your kid's gonna end up winning a million dollars in the next tournament he plays in, you know? I mean, right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I don't uh, know. There's, I think it's still a little restrictive. Just there's, you know, there's a lot. It's very competitive, just like anything. I think, I think one thing that like the world in general is kind of starting to figure out is like, whoa, esports is like. The people at the top, this is for real. I mean, it's like me playing LeBron in basketball. I'm going to get smoked. Right. You know, it's not like just kids <laughs> playing video games. I mean, these kids are so, so much better. Like, it, it's the same comparison as sports. Like, the level that mm. people are at who are professionals in esports is just so 
unbelievably higher than what the everyday person is at that uh i think for the longest time people didn't really realize that you know but now that it's starting to become a little bit more mainstream it's starting to become more popular people are seeing what it takes to get to that level and uh you know kind of what what needs to be done and what the skill gap is uh, this is sort of a tangent but it ties into uh the previous episode of of this show um, where I was talking uh, with somebody who is the president of the American Go Association. And Go is a, a board game, an ancient Chinese board game, and it was in the news a couple of years ago uh, because of the AlphaGo software that was able to learn how to play Go through playing itself uh, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of times, plus looking at older uh, uh, matches and analyzing those moves. And this program was able to beat the number one ranked uh, player in the world at the time, Lee Sedol. Uh, and I don't have the information off the top of my head, but I do believe that they either finished or were working on a program that could play StarCraft IV. And this computer program being able to play StarCraft IV at a higher level than the best players in the world. I, I think what I'm trying to say is AI is coming for, for video games as well. And that could also be something on the horizon. And we don't know how that might uh, change or shake up things. Yeah, that's a good point. That's not that's not something I'd really thought about a whole lot recently. But now that you mention it, I do remember seeing... Um, there was a bot that was basically doing doing similar things that you mentioned we're kind of learning how to play a game uh called dota and eventually after so many rounds none of the pros could beat it because it had learned everything that it needed to do so i don't think i ever really see a world where bots would necessarily be what we would watch as like the professional scene because i think that would just mm -hmm. be kind of boring um but who knows maybe it'd be really exciting I, I don't know but i don't really ever see that happening but i see a huge opportunity in the training area and in the coaching area where if you're a professional esports organization and you have this opportunity uh to match your players up against these bots that are just so dominant to like try to learn what to do in these situations or maybe just to watch the bots like replays of them to see what they do um i see a lot of opportunity around around that as as more of a learning experience uh, as opposed to it kind of bleeding into the competitive side of things i guess yeah, that's that's precisely what um, Andrew Oaken, the, the the gentleman I was interviewing uh, about the AlphaGo uh, program, had said. He said that that's one of the things that had changed was now people at the highest level, these these players that are some of the best in the world, are watching what these bots do and trying to understand why they do it because they might make a move that doesn't make sense to us at first glance but just increases the probability of victory just ever so slightly. And so now players are learning how the bots play and that influences their decisions when they play other players. So I think something like that is viable for a game like Dota or any sort of MOBA that a bot can learn how to play and, and be uh, effective at is like, yes, training can be boosted and uplifted by seeing what this computer program is able to work out and how to best beat their opponent. Yeah, I think the other thing, too, that I just wanted to add real quick on this is that um, right now, mo I, I think most teams get their practice by doing scrims, you know, or scrimmaging uh, other mm -hmm. professional teams. So if they're able to scrim against bots, um, it kind of allows them to even hide their strategy a little bit more as well. Whereas now, really, mm -hmm. the only feasible way to get... Um, 
a competitive experience at that level is to play against people that you're probably going to be competing against at a tournament or in your league. Um, mm-hmm. But now if you have bots that, that you can test out strategies on and who are going to give you that competitive experience, that adds a whole nother layer of strategy to what you're, you can do with your team and your organization. Absolutely. And it lets you keep your cards a little close to your chest before you have to you know, play that that team when when it really does matter. You know, you don't want them to know all of your tricks. So having like competitive AI is is a, a huge training tool, I would imagine. That's all time we have for this episode. But I wanted to extend a huge thank you to Mr. Commissioner himself, T. Now, for coming onto the show. This has been really fun and informative. So thank you for adding your insight to the pot. Yeah, happy to do it. Glad glad uh, you had me on here. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, before we go, however, uh, Tina, got anything you'd like to plug? Where can people find IGL on social media and get involved in the community? Definitely, yeah. So um, I think the best place to start if you aren't familiar with IGL would be our social media channels. Uh, We're on everything, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitch. And our channel is the same across all platforms. It's Indie Gaming 317. That's I-N-D-Y. Um, so INDY Gaming 317. Check us out on social media. Um, I'd also recommend checking out our website, IndieGamingLeague.com, and you can kind of see what we're all about there. Awesome. Thank you. This has been the Stone Soup Podcast, a proud member of the River Power Podcast Mill. Tune into our other programs like Too Many Hats and Science Night with James Reed, who has convinced incredibly smart scientists to talk about their work. It's highly interesting, and who knows, you might learn a thing or two. Finally, Check out my other podcast, a horror sci-fi anthology series called Pulp from Beyond the Veil, if you like the spookier side of life. All the shows on the River Power Podcast Network can be found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as wherever you'd like to listen to your shows. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you again soon when there's something tasty to throw in the pot. Until next time, I'm Cody Sullivan, signing off.